another great week in Anderson and this week on the Anderson Observer Podcast news from people you trust. COVID relief for renters and landlords, uh, in-person high school graduation proms and the end of virtual school for Anderson District 5. A new app aims to make interacting with Anderson County easier. T.L. Hanna says goodbye to its second winning its all-time coach uh, and the Cancer Association celebrates its 18th birthday. All this and more on the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust, and it has been another great week in Anderson. Biggest news is the kickoff of the county's distribution of $6.1 million through AIM. Uh, the grant is, grant is aimed at helping renters and small landlords who were hit hard by the pandemic and the uh, laws that delayed paying of rent. A lot of people thought they didn't have to pay rent, but it was just a delay uh, in paying the rent. So, uh, Anderson County Administrator had this to say about that project. The big thing that I'm very excited about, the county's received $6.1 million, and we're going to be using that for rental assistance. And we're going to be working with AIM, and AIM's going to be doing the applications and helping us. They're going to be doing the lion's share of the work, and I think it's going to be a wonderful partnership between Anderson County and AIM, and we want to make sure, and AIM does too, to make sure that we're all over the county all over the county, not just here in Andersonville. They've already got a place in Honeyhill Path, and I know they're working in other places to do it. So everybody who needs rental assistance, and a lot of people are impacted, and we're hoping maybe early March that we can do that, and we're very excited about that. Council is very excited that we're going to be able to help these people, so that's one of the big things going. It's another instance of the county council partnering with AIM. And AIM has been a a really uh, good partner for this kind of thing, and they've done this sort of thing in the past and worked with other grants. And here's what AIM Executive Director and Founder Christy King-Brock had to say. Uh, how great is the need for rent assistance right now in Anderson County? It, it's huge right now, Greg. Um, we see people that when they stopped evictions, um, what many people heard was, I don't have to pay my rent. Um, so all of a sudden, They've started allowing evictions again, and people were months and months behind in their rent. When um, the utility company stopped disconnecting utilities during the pandemic, what people heard was, I don't have to pay my power bill. Um, and it's because we've conditioned people to operate on a, on a, in a crisis mode. Our federal agencies require you to be five days before disconnection before they'll assist you. They require you to have an eviction notice before they'll assist you. So we have pushed people into hearing those kind of messages. So now, in order for our economy to move forward, we're going to have to help these people get back on level ground. Uh, otherwise, we're going to have this mass homelessness that our community faces. And, you know, the people that I really feel for are that elderly couple who said, you know what, let's buy a couple of rental homes and that'll be our retirement income to supplement our Social Security. And for a year now, many of these folks have gone without receiving any rent. Um, so they're at risk of losing their homes that were supposed to be supplemental income. So there's a lot of moving parts. There are a lot of people that have been affected. And um, we want to help people get back to level ground 
but we also want to be able to implement an opportunity for them to gain some financial wellness skills, gain some um, soft skills training and an understanding of how the different classes see the world, make decisions and communicate so that they can be more effective in the world of work. So we want to take this opportunity that the county has given us and, you know, talk about a, a humbling feeling um, when you have county government come to you and say, we've got $6 million and we would like for you to be the entity that disperses that money for us. We trust you. We think you've got the capacity and the infrastructure in place. And um, we need you to step up and, and take this money and get it to the right people in our county. Um, that was um, a, a very proud moment for our organization and a very humbling moment for our organization. So we want to make the county proud. <laughs> and, and these are things that, like I said, they came to y'all because these are things you, you're already doing day in, day out, way before this money came along. Exactly. Um, they were looking for an organization who'd handled federal money in the past and knew kind of the the do's and the don'ts and the regulations that go into that. Um, they were looking for an entity who already had a process in place to pay rent, who already had a, a relationship with utility companies and a, and a process in place to pay utilities, because none of this money will go to the person. It will all go to vendors, to the landlords, to the utility companies. Um, so really, we're the largest entity that does this, so we were really the, the logical choice, I guess, for the county. Um, so we want to do more than just throw money at this situation. Um, so we're trying to do this in a way that folks benefit from case management. So we're not going to open the spigot and spend all the money in two days. I, I don't think that's the purpose of it. Um, we want to make sure that we're getting the money to people, but we're doing more for them than paying their bills. And do you think this will go... Um are there going to still be people in need? I mean, is this going to help people catch up, or is that, is that enough money? Or do you... I, I hope it's enough money. Um, I know originally, you know, when we sat down with uh, uh, Mr. Burns and, and folks from the county, they're like, can y'all spend this money? Um, you know, because, of course, AIM has never been tapped um, with an opportunity to spend $4 million, much less $6 million, you know, especially in a uh, nine-month period of time. Um, so we don't know what we don't know yet, Greg. Um, we're hoping that it's going to be enough to address the need, and uh, we're going to be um, trying real hard to make sure we don't send any of this money to state housing. We want to spend it all right here in Anderson County. All right, walk me through there. If somebody's watching this and they're thinking, man, I'm really behind, what can, how can I get in touch and how can I get some help? Well, the one thing is this has to be done uh, on an online platform because there are documentation that we have to collect for the federal government. Otherwise, we get in trouble. Um, that's not to say that we're not here and available to help people upload the documents that we need and walk them through the process. But if somebody is in need of help and they've got a son or a daughter or a grandson or a granddaughter um, that is tech savvy, you can take pictures of documents with your cell phone and upload them. We've been working with uh, Credo Cares, a, a, a software company, to actually build this platform. We've had it built specifically for this project. Um, we've made it extremely user-friendly. So just say the website, the, the first step is to go to the website. And then... The first step is to go to the website at covidrelief.aimcharitysc.org. Um, once you go to that 
website, there'll be a pre-screening tool. I, you know, you're going to have to do that step. We want to make sure that people understand there's certain requirements that are out of our hand that you have to, to meet before we're able to assist you. And that just streamlines it and, it and it keeps us from getting bottlenecked with folks that are not going to be eligible. First of all, you have to rent your house. Um, it's not for mortgages, you have to rent your house. Um, you have to have a certain income level in order for us to be able to serve you. You have to have at least an indirect link to COVID. Now, that doesn't mean that you had to have COVID or anything like that. There's gotta be a loss of income or an increase in expenses that we can relate back to COVID. So there are questionnaires that can help us find that indirect link. Um, it'll tell you all the documentation you're gonna have to have to upload this application. It will not send the application until all of the documentation is uploaded. If you can't do it, we will help you. Um, we, we encourage everybody that can to go to the website to do the pre-app. Um, we do have a helpline. Um, that number is 1-833-977-RENT. And you can call that helpline. Um, we have many partners in the outlying areas. On our website, it will list where those partner organizations are, and they are willing to help people that have difficulty uh, uploading this information into the website. Um, so we've got them covering the whole county. We want to make this program accessible to everybody. Um, it, we don't want somebody to say, I couldn't get to Anderson, so I couldn't get help. Um, so we've got many partners. There's a Google map on that website, and it will direct you to those places to go. There's also a Frequently Asked Questions tab. Um, if you go to that tab, it's gonna, I would encourage you to go there first. Read through those questions and um, maybe before you even start doing the application. Then it's also gonna have a list of all the things that you're gonna need. I would gather those things and then do the application. It will save it. Um, this is a DocuSign document. So if you get in the process and you upload something, and you don't have the next item you need, you can save it and come back. Um, but I don't want people to think, oh my gosh, this is all online and I'm not gonna be able to get helped. You will be able to get helped. We just want to streamline it for those folks who can do it themselves and so we're not bottlenecking and making everybody come to AIM for an appointment. Uh, first of all, for safety reasons, uh, but also because we need to get this money out and there's no way to do that if we have to have people come into the office. So if somebody goes online or, or gets all the information, everything's set up and gets it to you guys and you guys vet them and work with them and realize this is a long-term thing, how quickly can people expect to be get some relief? We feel like once we have all the documentation and we vet it, um, it'll be fairly quickly. Um, we, again, I go back to we have to have a link to COVID. It does not have to be direct, but it has to be indirect. That's going to take the most time because every application will have to be looked at and we'll have to make sure that we can justify that link. We do have a grievance committee. If you're denied assistance, there is a grievance process where you can appeal that. Um, but in order for us to, to not get in trouble with the federal government, we have to make sure there is a COVID-related uh, issue. Again, I just want to stress, Greg, that we hope that we can take this opportunity and that we can do so much more for folks than pay their rent and utilities. Um, we want people to take advantage of the classes that we have. Uh, we've found in the past we've required people to do this, and they don't want to do it, but they do it, and then they say, oh my gosh, I learned so much. This helped me so much. 
Um, we just feel like there's opportunities for learning, for growth that way past COVID people will benefit from. And that's good news that this is helping a lot of different people. Um, and if you're interested in it, you can check out that website. You can go to Ames uh, Facebook page or the Anderson County Facebook page are the easiest places to find it. To apply, you can visit covidrelief.aimcharitysc.org. And like I said, you can look at the Facebook to find that because that one does not roll off the tongue. And meanwhile, the county is also offering uh, a new app to hope, hopefully provide better communications on everything from reporting potholes to paying your taxes to reporting things you're concerned about or issues. This ACSC space gov app, the word space is not in it, but you can search ACSC gov and it offers the ability to report all those things and get targeted information on meetings and events, which is one of the reasons they did it. And the Anderson Regional Airport even has information on there, plus the ability to apply for county jobs that are open, find updated county news, see what paws animals are ready to be adopted, and report a lost or a pet soul, uh, a lost or a found pet, and also a direct link to the Anderson County website for other things. Uh, the idea was uh, sort of hatched by Anderson County Council members who were receiving complaints about knowing, in a timely fashion, uh, new information about meetings and especially meetings of boards and commissions such as planning boards and zoning boards and things to find out about that. And Anderson County Councilman Jimmy Davis was one of the people who really pushed for this kind of app. A lot of talk at council about people saying, well, I didn't know this planning commission meeting was meeting. I didn't know this was meeting in my area. And so you were getting feedback from your constituents and others. And so you got together and y'all started talking about a new way to do it. Tell them a little bit about what this new way people can be connected. Well, you know, I guess it was about a year, year and a half ago. One of the things that we've, we've struggled with as a county, and I think everyone really does, especially now during the COVID times, is communication back to the public. So, you know, it's, it's in the world of technology that we're in, I thought, you know, myself, I said, you know, an app would be good if it was free and people could download an app on their smartphone and, uh, and be able to get uh, notifications of, of the meetings that are coming up with the county. You know, it's, it's easy when you're living in around the county seat to know what's going on, but when you live 30 or 35 minutes north, like a lot of people in the Powdersville area or 3 and 20 area or Piedmont area do, a lot of times they, they, they weren't getting the notifications and, and how could we better communicate with our constituents. So I asked County Council and I asked our IT department to look into creating an app. Administrator Burns jumped right on it and helped me uh, get this through. So now we have a free app coming out. Uh, it's an Anderson County app. And once you download it on your smartphone, and, you, and it's a short registration process, it's free. You will be able to see every meeting that's, that's going on with Anderson County. You'll be able to see when the planning and public works meetings are, when the planning commission's meeting, when county council's meeting, and, and just kind of know what's going on and be able to go and find the information you need with those respective agendas. You'll also be able to report things that are important to you in there too. That's correct. And you know, we had a YourGov app. A lot of people are using that for potholes and, and trash and debris, but this is also a way to report back to the county any issues you may see, because a lot of people don't know really who their council person may be. So this is a way that, that they can report back to the county and we can address these issues as they come up. And again, that app is free and is available at the iPhone App Store for Apple phones and at the Google Play App Store for Android phones. Uh, that new app replaces the old YourGov app, which posted less than 1,500 total downloads over the past few years. It never was very successful, so they're trying to go to something that's more comprehensive and more successful. And they're apparently going to continue to add and develop this app as 
uh, people give them feedback and the need arises. Another uh, news, Anderson County School District 5 Superintendent Tom Wilson told me in an interview this week that the district has set dates for outdoor graduation for both high schools and is planning a senior-only prom at both high schools this year and announcing an end to the virtual schools in the fall for Anderson County School District 5. All right, let's talk about what's going to happen with graduation this year for School District 5. Uh, graduation is set for June the 16th. That's the last day of school. Um, it'll be at 9 in the morning at both Hannah and Westside. We'll do them simultaneously like we did last year. Uh, we're going to allow the stadium to be 50% capacity, which means that the Westside students will be issued eight tickets and the Hannah students will be issued six tickets. That's based on, at Hannah, the graduation class is larger and the stadium seats less. So that's why there is a difference. But our rain date will be uh, the next morning at 9 o'clock if it's raining on the 16th. And then if it's raining on the 17th, then we just hand out diplomas. And But hopefully, usually in the summer, you just don't get thunderstorms at 9 in the morning. So that's our, that's our plan, and hopefully it'll be not hot like it was last year. Uh, of course, we started a little later last year, I think at 10 or 11, if I'm not mistaken. So we'll, uh, we hope it'll be a little cooler and get everybody graduated. And, you know, and most students, most students don't have six or eight people come. Some do, some have more. And I've got it, you know, I've, I've given out tickets before in my career when I was in, as principal. And they end up going around and find who's got extra tickets, who doesn't need them. And, and, you know, it usually works out. So if somebody's got 10 people they want to bring, they can usually find extra tickets. And it went pretty well last year in the stadiums, right? Mm -hmm. Y'all like the way the stadiums work. Saves some money for the district, too. Yeah, it saves money from the district. Our principals really liked it. Uh, our parents liked it. They don't have to drive anywhere. Uh, saves us a lot of money from renting Little John Coliseum or Bon Secours in Greenville. Um, the principals have a, a, a great way they can march into the stadium. Last year they just went and sat down. This year they're actually going to march in. We'll still have the chairs uh, six feet apart, or at least three feet, I think, is appropriate now. Um, but they'll be separated on the field. And uh, one unique thing we're doing this year at both high schools I'm excited about, uh, each high school is given an Alumni of the Year Award to recognize someone that graduated from Hannah and Westside that's made a significant contribution to society, the community, or their chosen field of work. So that will be hopefully the start of a tradition that will go from now on. Who's going to choose those? There's a committee at each school. Uh, Dickie Smith is organizing that for us. Uh, Coach Smith is our uh, community engagement liaison, uh, and he's done a great job. He taught basically half of the residents in District 5 at some time or the other. He knows a lot of people. He put teams together at both high schools to uh, generate nominations and, you know, and, and reach a, uh, a decision. Uh, I, I haven't been involved in it. The principals have, I know, and obviously, you know, the, the uh, team that's working to make the selection. 
you know, are they going to do it at graduation? Yes. Or announce it? They it'll be at graduation. Announce it beforehand. No, it'll be announced at graduation, and obviously the recipient will know, so they can be at graduation, and they're presenting them with a, uh, I guess, a loving cup or whatever, and then in each school we'll have a plaque with their name engraved as alumni of the year, and it's just a way to give back and and say thank you to graduates of. Uh, both high schools that have, that, that have done well and, and been an asset to the community and their chosen field. And so the return to the stadium is really old school. It's like yeah. back to the old days, the gym or the stadium, yeah. you had enough room for them. When you and I graduated, it was yeah. at the school. Exactly. And, um, you know, I think the principals like it. The kids, I think, like it. They, you know, um, and we have the Jumbotron. You can see everything projected. Uh, we're going to live stream the graduations for anybody that wants to watch it online. We, you know, we had a few glitches last year. It wasn't on our end. It was on the live streaming vendor's end. So we hope to get that worked out. And let's move ahead and talk about virtual school uh, moving ahead for the fall. Is there going to be a virtual school this year? Our, our plans now are not. Um, we may have some isolated instance where we we do provide virtual instruction that'll be on a, a very individual basis um, some of it will be with homebound or home-based students uh, since we've gotten so good at it where we don't have to send a teacher out and, it, and which is something you had to do in the past yeah yeah um, but our plans now is to be all face-to-face we think the virtual school has done a, served a great purpose. Um, I, it's certainly not as good as face-to-face, uh, but it's certainly better than not having any instruction. Some of our virtual students have done quite well, um, but some have struggled, and we know that going in. Uh, so that's why we're ramping up our uh, summer school programs and different things that we'll be doing that uh, as we prepare for next year. How are, you, how are you going to kind of do a tally of the kids that are trying, you're going to need to catch up? How's that going to work? Well, what we're looking at in elementary school are looking at uh, map assessments, uh, reading and math. The elementary, the elementary summer school will focus on reading and math. The high school will basically have three components. It'll have... Uh, Students have to make up seat time, students that are doing credit recovery, and then students that are taking a course for new credit. Almost kind of like old school summer school. Right, these all be in person. Yep, all be in person. Um, transportation will be provided, breakfast and lunch will be provided. We're having a morning session, an afternoon session. Um, some students will, can be there all day. The high school depends on what they register, sign up to take. Elementary, and also at elementary, we do have some students that will only do reading. Those are students that score the lowest of the low on, on the SC Ready and SC Pass assessments. They will focus on reading all day. Uh, some of the others will focus on reading and math. So we... Um, uh, we're in the process of surveying our, our staff. You know, we've notified the, pr- the parents, you know, this is what we're going to do. 
and we're in the process of, of uh, you know, what teachers are interested. We're looking at a pay structure to make it very, very uh, uh, attractive uh, to compensate these teachers for this. And we can pay for this out of the uh, ESSER money, or as I call COVID.2 money. And we can pay for that out of, uh, out of those, those funds because uh, we want to make it, we want to get the best and brightest teachers. And we know that we'll start the Monday after graduation uh, and it will run all the way up to pre-planning because we started school, you know, September 8th. We don't get out till June 16th. So there's only one day off. There's 29 days. So you going to stick with that schedule this year? Uh, no, we'll start. Start back. We'll start back in a normal schedule, oh, okay. like August, I forget the exact date, like a normal school year. Right. So summer's going to be very short, right. primarily because we started so late uh, with COVID. Um, so those teaching summer school, they only get one day off. That's the day, July the 5th. It's a Monday after the Independence Day. So they'll, they'll start that Monday after school's out and run it all the way up to the week before pre-planning. So they'll, you know, they won't get a summer vacation per se, but we think if we can make the salary attractive enough, particularly, um, you know, to some of our younger teachers maybe who, you know, four or five years uh, service, because uh, their salaries are not as high, and they may can come in there and, you know, make $10,000 in the summer teaching summer school, uh, which is very attractive, um, you know, to someone that's making, you know, $45,000 a year, you can almost get a third of your salary, um, you know, certainly a fourth of your salary in 29 days. So uh, you, we met the date, you know, talking about how we will structure the pay, and um, we hope to get a lot of kids. We hope to have a lot of quality teachers teaching it. Because uh, we need, you know, we know we're going to have a lot of students that are going to be struggling readers. Um, and we know at the high school we've got a lot of students that are going to be behind who maybe have failed different virtual classes. Our students that have been face-to-face, -face, our test scores are good. You know, they, they, they've done quite well. Our end-of-course tests were up at both high schools. And... Um, you know, elementary, nothing's really changed if they've been there. You know, and again, I don't want to say that all the virtual students have not have performed poorly. That's not true. Some have done well. Some where they had parent support, uh, they realized it was a partnership between the school, the parent, and the child. But then we've had some that they've been on their own. Right. And you know, and that's that's not a good plan for success. How long do you think it'll take for those kids to catch up? I mean, you got summer school, or they sort of building in into the fall. Maybe it's going to take a little bit of time to get people back on track, or are you just going to try to. Well, I think, you know, number one, I think we're better off than so many other districts, not only in South Carolina, because I think right now there's still a lot of districts in South Carolina that have not been face to face. Uh, which I can't imagine. You know, we, we, were, we were the first to announce, if I'm not mistaken, that we were going back face-to-face. -face. 
and we postponed our start to, to Labor Day. Um, as I told a group today, this has been a tough year. It's been a challenge, but what lies before us is going to be a lot harder than what we've been through because we're going to have a lot of kids that we're going to have to work extremely hard to bring back the level that that they would normally be at. For example, we've got students now that are in the fifth grade that have been virtual. When they left, they were in the fourth grade at elementary school, and now they're going to enter a middle school. So they're going they're going to be with new kids, something that they don't. A lot of them they're not even going to know because they're coming from different elementary schools, feeding you know one middle school, and that's going to take a lot of. Um, uh, work with teachers. It's going to take a lot of work with counselors. Um, you know, we're adding uh, a mental health counselor. Uh, we're going to ramp up the work of our social workers because we know socially and emotionally some students are going to need extra support to get through this. Um, you know, you, if you hadn't been in a school building by then, it'd be almost 18 months, and just getting back into it and back into that routine, uh, you know, they're going to need extra support and extra patience. Uh, but I'm confident, you know, our principals are very creative, how to make people feel welcome and, and bring them back. And, and, you know, if you fail, we'll, you know, we're going to keep working and we're going to, you know, get through it. But, you know, the struggling readers concern me the most on the, on the, on the front end. On the back end, you know, we've had discussions about those high school students that were 15, 16 years old when we left, and maybe they've been virtual or signed up for virtual, but they may have been struggling students, they may have been behavior problems. We're concerned we may never see them again, that they're just going, I'm off the radar, I'm done. Uh, I, was, I was behind before I... Before this, now I'm just more behind. And you know, I'm 17 years old. Am I really? Do I really want to be in a freshman English class? So those are the kind of challenges we're going to have to work through. And the, and the principals got to be real creative. How are we going to schedule these kids? You know, is it good to put a 17-year-old in a class with all these freshmen, or do we need to have a hybrid? freshman English class for these repeaters, so to speak. And so, you know, it's going to be a challenging year, as I told a group. This is going to be the most challenging few years for public education we've seen since Brown versus the Board of Education in 1954 that mandated desegregation of the school systems and, you know, the challenges that districts went through to make that happen. And um, it is, it, you know, we're, that's the kind of that's the kind of hill I, I, in front of us we got to climb. And won't really know for a few years how mm-hmm. we're doing. Yeah. How about you mentioned the COVID funding? Uh, did the budget survive okay with the extra funds? Are y'all okay budget? Yeah, yeah. Um, we our budget so far looks good. You know, we gave a two thousand dollar bonus. We feel good about our budget. Uh, the governor, you know, they, they're going to give all the teachers a step increase that was held back. We will also give that to all our non-certified, which has been our practice in the past. 
Um, we think our budget, you know, will be intact. We don't, we don't, you know, we don't see any like what's, you know, oh my God, what what's happening here? Our sales tax has been unbelievably better than it's ever been, and uh, a lot of that is stimulus money. A lot of that is people were home doing home repairs and buying paint and buying, you know, mulch and doing home repairs and going to, you know, Lowe's and Home Depot and, and doing things that have been put off because they couldn't go anywhere. Um, you know, they couldn't go to Myrtle Beach, and so they spent all their money here. And um, so it's really kind of reflected, like, what the market has done. And, um, in fact, our latest check was the highest, if I'm not mistaken, was the highest it had ever been. Our cut was around $1.2 million. Countywide, I think it was $2.3 million. So the sales tax money has continued to come in and benefit all five school districts and, and also um, uh, roll back 20% to roll back bond indebtedness. A uh, prom. Um, Are you going to do the prom? We're going to do the prom. I don't have the dates. The principals are working with the Bleckley Station. And one change we're making to try to, um, you know, social distance as much as possible um, is it's going to be seniors only, not a junior senior, which I've encouraged the principals just let that be the new tradition, seniors only, because the classes are so big now. Is you know when you and I graduated high school, we didn't have 400 in a class, so you could have the junior senior prom. But I think with now when you get 400 seniors, and you assume you know 70 percent of them or so will come to the prom. That's a lot of kids, so they're going to do it um, at the Blakely Station, and and again I don't know the dates. Um, I, I did talk to. Um, one administrator that told me they were doing the um, their prom the night before graduation. And the reason they were doing that was if anybody had COVID, they wouldn't quarantine. They could still come to graduation and quarantine after that was over. And we've talked about, uh, I think, the dates. Make sure, you know, it, it doesn't, the, the, any quarantine days doesn't fall on graduation. So they're working through those numbers, but I thought that was pretty ingenious to do it the night before graduation. And then if you did graduation early in the next morning, maybe people would be kind of tired and kind of behave. Except for the people having to plan it the night before graduation. Yeah, yeah. So we got those three things. Anything else? We can catch up later if not. I just wanted to get No, I think, you know, just we've been very fortunate. I think we've had around 700 cases. That's out of 16,000 people with students and employees um, our nurses have done a tremendous job uh, you know in all our schools I, I can't speak enough about our teachers and our principals that you know if you know set their jaw and we're gonna get through this and and you know we've to date we've only had to shut down one elementary school for two weeks that's because of staff being out and we learned and and we're just so thankful that e-learning existed. And, you know, as you know, we were the first district in the state to e-learn. 
And I think now around the state, folks are glad that it started because imagine what buying districts would have been in last year this time. In fact, there were several districts that gave little work packets. But, you know, we were, along with other districts that were in the pilot, were really way ahead. And, um, you know, and e-learning is... It's, it's, it wasn't intended for long term, but you know, from March of last year to the end of school, you know, that's all we had. And then, of course, the virtual wrapped up, and it was a, a better product. And we struggled with that early on, but we got the glitches worked out. And uh, hopefully, we won't have to deal with this anytime in the near future. And, and um, we are encouraging our employees to get the vaccine. We've uh, had a lot that have already gotten it. We did a survey, and I think around a little over 60% of our staff said they would get it. Now, I think the number's gonna be higher once they realize, oh, they're getting it and they're okay. I think some people had a fear uh, early on. But I wanna thank AnMed uh, for working with us. They've been great partners to get the vaccine out and. And we're encouraging, you know, I'm encouraging everybody. I got it. And um, it was almost a relief when you get it, like, okay, wow. And um, so, you know, we'll, we'll continue to encourage that and, and hopefully put this thing behind us. Only other thing I was going to ask you, do you have any, any idea about growth, how many students are going to be added, or are you going to be saying about the same coming into the next year? We're concerned we may lose some students. We don't know yet. We're trying to hedge our bets before we go out here and start hiring and hiring. We want to wait and see exactly till we get a, a good handle. Because there may be some virtual kids that go, nah, I'm going to homeschool from now on. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't think it'll be hundreds, but it could be, you know, several that could impact our staffing for our schools. And... Um, and, you know, we're going to have to really look. And you, you don't like moving teachers from school to school, and, you know, because they, they want to work where they want to work. And, but, you know, they work for District 5. They don't work for a specific school. So we may have to ask teachers, well, you've been at this elementary school for 10 years, but we need you here because of numbers. And, um, but, you know, we'll say that's still a wait and see. When will you know that? When will you know pretty much? I mean, when school starts? I mean, when do you... No, we'll know before school when we start registering and getting hard numbers. Uh, You know, hard numbers on exactly who's going to be where. Um, So it's... um, I really feel good where we are, honestly. Um, We had a principal's meeting today and just listening to that and our plans and what our curriculum and instruction staff's done preparing for summer school. I really feel like we're in a good place. We just need our kids to take advantage of it, and we need our teachers to come make a lot of money for 29 days' work um, because we're going to need them. And and it's either we do this work in summer school or we got that much more to do when school starts. And, um, And, you know, especially the little ones, you know, they're like sponges, and if we can get them in there face-to-face, the ones that are struggling, as someone shared today in our meeting, usually this time of year in kindergarten, 
is when the, the flower starts blooming and they really grasp, hey, now I understand what reading is. They understand that you know these things make sounds and on a page and the sounds make words, you know, and that's when they finally, it starts to really pop. And um, that's the ones we're worried about. If they're not getting it at home, we got to get it this summer. And so, but I feel good about it. I really feel good where we are and um, look forward to next year, honestly. And so Anderson School District 5 is trying to get back on track. He's, uh, as he said in that interview, it's going to be interesting to see how many students don't come back, whether they enroll in some of their virtual school or the ones that they may have lost, try to find remediation to bring those back. And the summer school is going to be an important part of the younger kids catching up. Another thing that's important to talk about is to remind everyone of the Anderson's premier eating establishment, Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill, a longtime sponsor of the Anderson Reserver podcast, News from People We Trust. And that's no secret to anybody because Sullivan's has been listed as one of the top 100 restaurants in America for years now. And folks from all over visit Anderson just to eat at Sullivan's. I mean, Charlotte, Atlanta, people visiting from out of town always know about Sullivan's and want to try it out. And don't forget, Bill Nickerson and his wife, Saber, brought Sullivan's downtown more than 20 years ago when Main Street was pretty much a ghost town. You had to kick the tumbleweeds out of the way. When no one wanted to come in and invest in it, and they really helped in the renaissance and rebirth of downtown. So be sure to tell, tell Bill thanks if you see him in there. So whether you're looking for a great lunch, dinner, or to celebrate that special occasion, you cannot beat Sullivan's. Their food and their service is unbelievable. And if you have a special event that's on location, Sullivan's Catering offers the same great food with white tablecloth catering for all your wedding, family, or business events. You can see their daily specials and discounts on the Sullivan's Metropolitan Grill Facebook and tell them you heard about it on the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. In other news at Teal Hannah, uh, they're saying goodbye to the school's second winningest coach in history. Volleyball coach Becky Easton won more than 300 games in only 10 seasons at the helm. And that's second only to the 427 wins posted by former Hannah baseball coach Carol Emery, who was there for 40 years as the baseball coach. So Becky is leaving... For a number of reasons, but mainly to watch her own kids, her two daughters who are now playing volleyball at the next level at different colleges. And here's what Becky had to say about her career at Hannah. I just want to start. Do you remember the first volleyball you ever owned? Oh, wow. That was probably, I was probably 12 years old and my sisters played. And, um, and the actual volleyball itself was super old and disgusting. But we just played in the backyard and I just wanted to be like them. And so I just, you know, started playing with them. And um, I was a manager my first year. When I was in seventh grade, I got cut from the team. And then um, that whole summer between my seventh and eighth grade year, I worked so hard in the backyard every single day and uh, then made varsity my eighth grade year and started. And so then was on the team with my sisters for one year. So that was neat. Yeah. So you pretty much had volleyball going on ever since then, right? Ever since, yeah, yeah. Um, how did you, you keep playing as a player after school and stuff? You played in college. I played at University of Connecticut, and then I transferred to Clemson for a year. I played down here, and then um, yeah, I love it. It's I took a, a bit of time off when I had kids, and then I decided to start coaching again. They had a need for a coach, and I said, "Well, I'll coach for a little while," and that was just club. And then I said, oh, "I really like this. I'll coach a little bit longer." Okay, I'll coach a little longer, and then I just continued. And um, it just gets in your blood. It doesn't ever leave. I think you know and. 
Um, it's wonderful. Initially, my kids weren't, I was, yeah, I was like, you guys don't have to play volleyball. Like, I want you to go be a pianist or, you know, do something else. And uh, I didn't actually let them play until they were older because I didn't want them to feel like they had to. And so um, it was really neat, though, just to be able to see them grow up on the court, and they just loved it. And Bella was tiny. She was probably... I don't know, five years old when she started really playing against the wall and then would come to practices with me all the time. And I have pictures of her when she's, you know, little. That's cute. <laughs> and remind people where she's playing now. She, Isabella's going to be going to William & Mary. Right. She's a senior at Hannah. And she'll go to William & Mary and she'll be, um, uh, yeah, she'll set for them. So I'm really excited about it. A great academic school. And um, she's just really excited about the opportunity for, you know, to go there. And then Gabrielle is at um, Old Miss. She's a sophomore, or a junior there, rather, and so she was at Clemson for two years and then transferred to Ole Miss, and um, she loves it there, and um, wonderful coaching staff, and just really good opportunity. Now, did they get to see you play? When you play beach or anything, did they get to watch uh, you play? Maybe, like, uh, when they were younger, I would play in some, you know, random leagues and different things, and I play sand every once in a while now, but... Um, I, I pretty much don't play as much as I used to, you know, when you get older, you stop doing a lot of things. Um, but, uh, but I love to continue to play as much as I can. It's just fun. Um, but I'm a little bit competitive. So when I start to play, I'm like, I'm going to win no matter what. And you know how that happens, <laughs> but, uh, but it's fun. We used to play and actually we played in a couple of sand tournaments or, or grass tournaments together, the girls and I, when they were younger. And that was really fun. And then, um, they've just, you know, I hit around with the kids and, of course, I hand a practice in my club practice, you know, I'll down ball and play with them some. So it's fun. I love it. Well, the sand and grass is a little easier on the knees as you get older, too. It is. Yeah, it is. It is. Sand is so much harder, though. I mean, it's crazy. It's, I mean, it's great. It's fun to dive, and it's fun because you can play anywhere and on the beach. Um, but, uh, but it's definitely, you know, I don't have much of a vertical, and even there, I'm pretty much just stay on the ground the whole time. But uh, my girls are really good at it, though, so it's really fun. I encourage all my players, any players, to go play sand and go play grass because um, it just really gives you a good opportunity to diversify, and it's really fun. You play with different people, and playing with guys is really great, too. So. And you play all day, usually, those. My wife played yeah. some of those terms. We'd come home just from in that sand for 12 hours. Exhausted, just, yeah, yeah. It's so fun. You're you're totally sore the next day, but it's a great workout. So, And it's great, like, just hanging out with people and, you know, just having fun on the beach. Well, you mentioned this a minute ago. When did you decide you wanted to coach? Um, so I think it was – it's been about 16 years, maybe, and they just had a need for a, a club coach. And so um, I said, well, yeah, I'll coach for a year. I'll help out. Um, and then I just kind of continued to do it. And then there was a need at Hannah for a JV coach, actually. And this is about 11 years ago. And um, I was like, I guess I'll help out just for a year. Um, and then, um, I don't know, I just, they, then they needed a varsity coach. And I said, well, I'll, I'll do that. And then it just kind of blossomed into that. And so um, it's been really awesome, though. I've loved coaching at Hannah and just the opportunities to meet so many different kinds of people and relationships that I formed all these years and the girls are, have just been really amazing. Did you ever imagine you'd be coaching that long, Hannah? No. It's like I, 10 years, right? Yeah, yeah, it's been 10 years now. Um, definitely not. You know, it wasn't in my radar at all. Um, and I, I was a Spanish teacher and I just thought, well, I'll just help out for a little while. Um, but then it just, like I said, it just happened, and I just, I just loved it and loved developing the relationship with the girls. And I thought, well, this next girl's coming up next year. Like, I can't leave yet. The, oh, this other girl who I coached already, I have to stay when we're here, you know. And then I just continued to go, and, and my girls were playing too, and, and they're friends. And so it was really neat. I've coached a lot of these girls since they were, you know, they were 11 and 12. Um, 
And to see them go on to play at the next level has been really, really fun. Yeah. Like Maddie, one of my girls that I can remember in particular, Maddie Bryant, she, um, I coached her, let's see, she was 11 maybe, 11 or 12, on that club team with my daughter Gabrielle. And um, just throughout middle school they played, and then different times I coached them in club, but then they went on and played club, and then, you know, in high school I coached her the whole time. And now she's at Tennessee, she's a starting libero, and so it's just really neat to see kids like that, just an amazing young lady, just blossom and, and do so well. So I'm really proud of her. You're talking about your players. Are there any other accomplishments you're proud of that you, over these years coaching at Hannah? Um, I mean, we reached 300 wins, so that was really neat. Um, that was a really big accomplishment, and that was this year. Um, we, you know, six times in a row we won a region, so that's a really big deal. Um, and so, and we've gone to Upper State multiple times. Of course, this past year we won Upper State, which is the first time ever in school history. We went to, you know, the state final and played there. Um, and that was an amazing opportunity, and, and my kids, you know, were really excited about that. And so, I just honestly, another big accomplishment is just seeing so many kids go and play at the next level. Um, so many young, these student athletes, they're just amazing students, amazing athletes, and then for them to continue to want to play at the next level is really incredible. Um, and just being amazing people, they're just, they're just great, um, people in the community and they volunteer and they just, I never have, one time I've had one teacher send a complaint to me about any of my athletes. So that's been really neat. Um, you know, that's a big deal as a that's coach. That's a huge deal, yeah. Yeah, because cause you, that's one of your goals is to help develop, you know, young ladies into great community people and um, great people in general. And so they're just, they've just been really awesome. Um, of course, the support at, at Hannah and just, um, from the administration and the athletic director, Coach Can, and so many different people are just amazing there. So, and honestly, our weight room has made such a big difference too. Um, a number of years ago, you know, we had the new weight room, and and just to be able to have that and those girls see what that's like um, has just been amazing for them. Yeah. Okay, we're talking about all these amazing things. Yeah. What made you decide to step down? <laughs> oh, I know, right? Um, well, honestly, I really just want to see my girls play at the next level. So Gabrielle's at Old Miss, and, and Belle's going to be at William and Mary. And um, during the during the fall, I'm really busy with Hannah volleyball, and uh, we have tournaments on the weekend. And we I schedule I do a pretty rigorous rigorous schedule, um, really making sure that we play a lot of competition. We go to Atlanta and play in an Invitational. We go to Wando. We go to Tennessee, and so lots of different tournaments, so I can give them the best opportunity to compete at high levels. And, uh, you know, to be able to do that well, I would need to be here all the time. And so I feel like I really want to be able to see my girls play um, and just be there as a mom, you know. And so now I'm kind of moving from the coaching section to the cheering section full time, which I'm really excited about, actually. Um, but at the same time, I definitely will miss it. Um, I'll miss my girls. I'll miss, you know, the, the memories that we make and so many different things. And with real estate, too. I'm a realtor full time. And so just to be able to you know, pour a little bit more time into that as well. Over the years, I've talked to coaches, and they say the first year after is the one that's the hardest to kind of get through. Because yeah. you're, you're thinking, I should be getting ready for something. So. Yes, absolutely. I can totally imagine that. Because even right now, I get emails from different coaches all the time. You know, can we play you? You know, what's our schedule look like? So, you know, I'm, I'm helping create the schedule. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, I'm not going to be there for that tournament. I'm not going to go do that. But, you know, I know it's time. And I know that there's a season in life for everything. So I'm really thankful for the season that I've had at Hannah. And thankful for the next season that I'm going to go into. 
Well, people who don't know you, Becky, um, tell me where you're from and how you got to the Anderson area. Oh, I'm from Washington, D.C. area, from Maryland, and I went to Connecticut to play volleyball up there. And then I was I transferred down here to Clemson. I just felt like I should be here. And then my husband and I met. He played football at Clemson as well. And uh, we just decided to stay in the area. He's from Florida and uh, didn't want to go up north. He said it's too cold and too crowded, too many people in the north. And uh, I didn't want to go to Florida because I like my seasons. And so um, I, we just decided to stay here in, in the upstate. And it's been a really good move. You know, I love it here. It's um, kind of a good mix of everything, the mountains and the beach and, you know, in between Charlotte and, and Atlanta. Uh, I miss the city sometimes, but as long as I travel a little bit, then, then I'm good. It's, it's a really great place to live and a great place to raise kids, especially. Yeah. You seem to be somebody who thrives on challenges. Mm -hmm. or what's next for that? Is there something else you've got in your mind? Let's say, you know, your girl's only going to play volleyball for a couple of years, four yeah. years at the most, probably. What, yeah. What's next for you? You got something else in that mind? That is a great question. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I've had other people ask me that. What, what are you going to do next? Um, and honestly, I don't know. I love to travel, and I've had I've, I was actually approached by a few different producers and different things to do, um, you know, different shows for different things. And so, and one was like a reality um, show, um, kind of a race, you know. And so I'm like, well, I could have the time to do that now if I wanted to, because uh, before I couldn't, because you know, I was I had I was obligated with this. Um, so potentially, you know, something like that. Who knows what that would look like or. You know, maybe I'll retire at the beach. No, I probably won't do that yet. <laughs> I, I definitely will uh, Will do something. We'll see what happens. But I would do like real estate, and so I'll stay in that for right now. And then we'll see what happens from there. Mm -hmm. What else do people need to know about Becky Easton, the person? If mm -hmm. nobody met you, what do they know about you as a person? Well, I love Jesus. And um, I love the Lord. And that's he's the most important thing in my life, for sure, and my family. And um, I love, um, love to travel. I think I just really appreciate different people and different cultures and uh, traveling I think just opens a broad new world for everybody and just you know appreciating different cultures and things. If I go to a city I don't want to be a tourist so I don't like to go to all the tourist traps. I like to go and see if somebody will invite me to their house for dinner you know and just like um, embrace all the local places so that's really fun. Um, and. Yeah, I just really love enjoying life and living life to the fullest and doing different experiences that, that uh, uninvigorate you. So, yeah. Is there anything I didn't ask you that you wanted to make sure you got into this? Uh, well, I just I guess I really just want to thank everybody for... Sorry about that. Let me start over with I thank everybody. I can edit that. Okay, perfect, perfect. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I just really want to thank everybody for all the years at Hannah and all the um, relationships that I've formed, the support that we've had. So many parents um, are really wonderful. Like, honestly, a lot of it comes from the parents, like bringing their kids to practice and supporting their kids and all of their, their dreams and desires and what they want to do. It's a huge deal. So I know as a parent, with all of my kids playing, playing sports, it's just been really huge for the them to be able to support their own kids, you know, and to be able to um, pour into them. So thank you, parents, for that. And also to the administration, we would not be where we are, you know, with Hannah Volleyball today without the support. And my coaches that um, have coached with me along the way, there's no way I could have done it alone, you know. It's definitely a team effort. And just so many great memories with my girls, you know, my teams and my own daughters playing. It's been a really fun experience. So really appreciate it. and the community support. It's been, Anderson's a great place to coach. Hannah's an amazing place to coach. And 
um, just the support that we have and the people that um, love volleyball and support us has been really fun and we couldn't you know be where we are today without it so I'm really proud of them it's been it's been awesome to be able to say that we you know made the state final wish we would have won but everybody does but you know just the accomplishments that we've made along the way has been really incredible for a small town like Anderson honestly and so just to be able to to do that and to you know um just be able to show that volleyball is really strong here in the upstate has been a really great thing. And so many kids playing for the next level is, I'm really, really proud of them. There have been uh, many great coaches at Hannah, but uh, no one's won more games in a shorter period of time than Becky. And so we wish her well. And uh, she's still got a lot of fun things ahead. But if you see her, thank her for all she did for the volleyball kids and the program, Hannah's volleyball program into to statewide uh, recognition year after year. This week also marked the 18th birthday of the Cancer Association of Anderson, which has been serving the needs of families and cancer patients in the county for a long time, and they really have helped shape our community into a place that cares for, that is known for caring for people. And Catherine Smith, who founded the organization after her own struggle with cancer, had this to say about the day. Do you ever believe 18 years down the road you'd be here celebrating the 18th birthday of the Cancer Association of Anderson? I didn't even know if I'd still be on this earth in 18 years, to be honest, but uh, what, a, what a thrill. And uh, so nice to come here today and see a lot of cancer survivors I hadn't seen in a while and to see them all thriving and happy. Though, of course, we've said goodbye to a lot of good friends over the years. It's a, a terrible disease, but I'm thrilled that the Cancer Association is thriving itself and serving people, and we have such a great team here under um, Angie Stringer, so yeah, it's a good day. How have you seen it change over the years? Oh my goodness. you stayed involved. Yes, I'm on the board, yeah, so I have seen it change. Um, I think really with Angie has expanded the programs quite a bit, especially in the area of education. Um, and things like coming along came along like Uber. We didn't have Uber before, so Uber is a, a major source of getting patients back and forth. We were told from the very beginning that transportation was a major issue in this county, and it, and it has proved to be. So in the beginning, we would just give people um, mileage reimbursement, and usually someone could find a friend or family member to take them to their appointments, but not always. So Uber has been a real, um, real blessing and a real expansion of service how many how have lives changed what would have happened if, if, if you and, and your partners hadn't started this organization I, I, when I started the Cancer Association I had like I said a lot of partners Ravinder and Rajiv Malik um, Garrett Chittister Lila Albergati and um, Barbara Kraft um, I called it, it was like being a rat in a maze when you found out you had cancer. To hear those words, it was like, oh my God, what do I do next? And, um, you know, you could get referred to a surgeon and that kind of thing. You can do it. But what do you do after that? And who do you talk to? And what services were out there? Because at the time, um, even in-med services were scattered all over town. And you had radiation oncology in one building. You had chemo at your doctor's office in another. And they were in the process of, of starting their cancer center. Um, but there, it was just a, a real challenge to find all the places you could get help. So that was the very first thing I did was I put together a directory of services for cancer patients. I actually printed it out. Um, I mean, this was the web. The web was not real big <laughs> at the time, <laughs> so um, we would just hand these things out. 
And what kind of feedback have you gotten over the years from people who've been blessed by this group? Um, well, it's, as Angie could tell you, you get feedback all the time. And just as a matter of course, I always post on my Facebook page, it's my cancerversary, which was um, actually two days ago, and got lots of response from people. The Cancer Association helped me so much. Thank you for you know, having the vision to start this organization and, um, you know, just the people who felt so scared and lonely have a safe place to come. Um, the money that they can get, the $1,000 a patient a year is, is important, but so is just someone who, can, who knows what it's about. So Angie's a survivor. She can refer uh, people to support groups and say, hey, I've got a friend who's gone through this thing. Why don't you let me call her and, or him? Um, and I think a lot of cancer survivors like me feel that great need to reach out to others. Um, I see people out in the hall right now who, who do that just, just because they feel they've been spared and given a gift of, of more time on this earth. So what do you do with it? You make the, the path easier for somebody behind you. And you plan to continue to be involved? Oh, yeah. It's my, I always I, I joke and say it's my third child. <laughs> I found an 18th birthday card from, uh, to bring today, and I put stamps in it because they always need first-class stamps and said, um, don't forget to write your mother. <laughs> yeah, I will. And the current um, executive director, Angie Stringer, who's been leading the Cancer Association for several years now, said the future is looking bright, but they've got some really big challenges and big plans for the new building and other things. Well, the Cancer Association of Anderson was started in 2003, so we are 18 years old this month, so we are solid teenagers. <laughs> and we're kind of shaking things up like an 18-year-old would. We're, we have some great plans for future growth, and um, this whole organization was birthed out of uh, the vision of Catherine Smith, um, Dr. Ravinder, and Dr. Rajiv Malik, uh, people like Barbara Kraft in the community who really wanted to make a difference. They saw that people were slipping through the cracks, that when they were diagnosed with cancer, they had a lot of needs. They had to get back and forth between their treatments. They had prescription medication that they needed for pain or nausea, and it was just a lot of expense. And people needed help and they needed support. And so Catherine put together a team. They're wonderful people in our community, like um, one of my favorites, Bob Williams, who passed away last year. Just a precious man who invested his life here and helped get this place going. And it's this place is a legacy to all those people who worked so hard to make this a reality to help people in the community. And the, the beauty of the Cancer Association is that we're local. Um, all of the money that's raised stays here, and it helps people in Anderson County, um, people all over the county who need help with their prescriptions, who need help with their mileage, transportation. They may have appointments, you know, at MD Anderson or MUSC or Levine, and we help them get there and help them get to their treatment. Uh, we don't have the money to pay for all of it, obviously, but we take the edge off and help people keep their sanity, too, while they're going through it. And I can tell you that I know that from a personal standpoint, as you know, Greg, in that, you know, I came here when I was diagnosed. And... Um, it was such a blessing to walk in the door 
with the false sense of security that, oh, I've got great insurance, you know, you think you do, you know, I'm, I'm covered. But I was diagnosed in September and I hadn't met any of my deductibles because I was fairly healthy, you know, I didn't even hardly go to the doctor. And between September and December 31st, we were out of pocket $24,000 just from, you know, co-pays, meeting the family deductible, um, all the little prescriptions that I needed and non-prescriptions for pain, all those things that added up. Um, and so, you know, I walked through the door not knowing what to expect, but was so relieved when I sat down in front of the desk and the sweet lady who was here as the site manager at the time, Lynn Buchanan, said, uh, I just want you to know you're not by yourself. You're not alone. And so my husband, myself, and my mom sat there, and she told us that and the calm that came over, just saying, you know, oh, my goodness, you know, I'm not by myself. Um, what, a, what a blessing. And so when I had the opportunity to come here and be a part of this, dynamic organization I couldn't say no I had a great job I loved but this was it was just the next step for me to be able to say hey they were here for me and I want to give back I want to I want to be a part of what they're doing and what they've done in the past and you mentioned it's local and remind people what kind of services y'all do offer here to the local folks well we pay for mileage so if you drive back and forth to your appointment we give you a check once a month to take care of that mileage. We also pay like if you need to go out of town or out of state to get extra treatment or whether you need a second opinion or whatever, we pay for that and help you find lodging when you get there. Um, we also pay for prescriptions. We have, uh, we'll either reimburse or we have accounts with several pharmacies in Anderson, uh, three of the top ones are Probe Drugs, the Oaks Pharmacy, and Professional Pharmacy. We work with them. We have accounts, and so people can go in there who are patients, and they'll send us an invoice once a month with everybody's. So you just go pick up your prescription, and, and it's paid for through us. We also do things like bras and uh, mastectomy bras, um, which are very expensive. I, I know that for certain. <laughs> Um, breast prosthesis, um, they can be easily $350, $400 for one. And if you have a double mastectomy, that's double. We carry those in stock. And if we don't have what you need, we'll order it for you um, and pay for it. Uh, we also have a lady who is certified on our staff, Sandra Martosha. She's a certified breast prosthetic fitter. And so she will actually, if you don't have insurance and can't pay to get the breastfitting, um, she can arrange an appointment here and get you fitted. Um, so we do that. Uh, we have support groups that meet. Uh, lately during COVID, we've been meeting by Zoom and everybody can get online and talk with one another. And we've, we've stayed in contact and kept things going. We'll have a speaker on Zoom or someone to just encourage everyone or either we've had a couple of times where we've just talked about what we've been doing, whether somebody has taken the time to learn how to bake bread or uh, learned a musical instrument. We've had a lot of you know, interaction like that. So it's not like you would think a support group of being you know depressing. It's uplifting. 
Um, we also do other things like we pay for um, shower chairs or wheelchairs or hospital beds, anything that you may need in the realm of medical equipment while you know you're going through treatment we, we can take care of that and then there's odd things every once in a while that you know is not written in a book you know that oh this is what we do that just pop up that we try to help our mission is to lessen the burden on Anderson County residents who are battling cancer and I think we do a magnificent job um, lessening that burden whether it's support um, emotionally or financially so there's things that don't fit into any box that we help with. But we have some new programs too, Greg, that are pretty exciting. Like we're doing a program that we're getting ready to gear up. It's called Face Forward. Um, there used to be a program in Anderson called uh, Look Good, Feel Better. And it uh, went away. And so we wanted to pick up that ball because people like me and who, had, who have been involved here saw the value um, when you lose your eyebrows, you know, everybody thinks, okay, you lose your hair. Well, you do, but it's not just the hair here. It's the hair on your eyebrows, your eyelid, you know, your eyelashes, everything. And it's hard to feel normal when you're going through that because you're already washed out. You know, you lose your color. Um, you don't have hair. So there's no distinguishing features on your face. It's hard to put makeup on. Your eyes are runny and red. And that program... Um, what it was before and what we're transforming it in helps give women an opportunity to feel a little normalcy. Um, teach you how to put eyebrows on and, and how to take care of your eyes. The thing we bring to the table is that we have products that are all hypoallergenic. They're not, um, they won't mess with your skin. They don't have any bad chemicals in them. Um, they also, they don't uh, do any testing on animals, so it's a great company. It's called Thrive Cosmetics. And we sent a letter to Thrive Cosmetics and told them what we wanted to do. And they sent us a lots of makeup. I'll let you look at it and you can video it for everybody and let them see. So we're geared up and ready to go. We have a makeup artist that's gonna donate her time to come in. We've also, ahead of time, put together some videos, thanks to Paul Brown, um, to get things done so that we could do it online, too, so that if somebody misses the session, they can go watch it later. And tell about Paul's connection. Paul is just a wonderful man. Everybody knows him, loves him. Um, Paul's wife, uh, Joe Brown, uh, was a cancer patient back around the time that the Cancer Association started. And she was involved here and she started also, she had started the Senior Center, Joe Brown Senior Center, and was just very involved in the community. And so Paul and Kelly Joe, their daughter, have been just a godsend to us. Kelly Joe brought back her mom's Golden Years Jamboree um, a couple of years back and wanted to, Paul wanted to honor uh, Joe by raising money for the Cancer Association on the 20th anniversary of her passing. And we, over the like four years, they raised about $35,000 for the Cancer Association, which was pretty awesome. 
so we love Paul and he's always quick to jump in and do videos for us and things that we need just like you are Greg and we're very grateful um, to people in the community who make our jobs easier and help us do the things we need to do that maybe we don't have the expertise to do. Angie, how many people have y'all helped over the years? Well, I have a wonderful map that I'll also show you too. Um, I had, uh, we were working on a project with Anderson University students and they started coming in and going through and helping us get our files digital so that we could report and actually find out the true number. So as of November of last year, we had 8,700 patients in Anderson County that we had helped. Um, and my daughter, who actually, I'll throw in a little plug here, I love my kiddos, um, is in the master's program at Clemson um, in environmental engineering. She actually took their GIS program and mapped locations across the county where our patients were. We stripped out all the identifying um, information like names and the exact street address and just put it in chunks. And she mapped it on their GIS program. And we have a beautiful map that shows since 2003 how many patients we've helped and how it's spread out through the county. And then she also broke it down by types of cancer. And the project we're working on with AU with Dr. Diana Ivankovic is the students are taking those and taking those maps and looking at the types of cancer, where they're located, and looking for any clusters. Um, now, it's not comprehensive because we don't have all Anderson County patients. We just have the ones that we've assisted through the years. So, but it's a it's a real eye-opening thing when you look at 18 years worth of patients we've helped and how many red dots there are on that on that map. But what we hope to do is to take it further and be able to map out more and possibly partner with the hospital systems in this area to do a more comprehensive study and get the students, it gives them an opportunity to get involved and see not only the numbers and how it affects the community, but to meet patients one-on-one -on -one that really make a difference because it pulls it away from just being a, a faceless number till they're seeing the actual people who are in the battle. And we had, we've had a couple of students say it really opened their eyes and they don't look at the research the way that they did before. They look at it as I'm doing something to help so-and-so that's battling breast cancer or this battling ovarian cancer. So it's a really neat project and it's a good way, you know, we kind of like to think out of the box here. And if there's things that we can do, to further whatever it is, you know, in our community, we want to do it and bringing those students in and doing that project with them and future projects as we go, I think it's just going to be a game changer. Well, and, and talking about moving ahead, uh, you've had the challenge of your pandemic, but now you've got a bigger challenge going on. You were just telling me, tell, tell folks what the next big challenge is going to be for Cancer Association of Anderson. Well, we have a lot, but I'll tell you the big one on our radar right now. Um, we ran into some major structural issues with the house we're in at 215 East Calhoun Street and um, we had an opportunity to move next door which was really a blessing um, and I will say um, Harold Threlkill has been a blessing to the Cancer Association for a long time. 
he paid for all of our yard work and our you know weekly maintenance and he was just such a blessing to us and his his passing was very sad and he's tremendously missed by by us um and what a blessing he is in that we're able to from his estate we're renting his facility now his building and um and just carrying on what he did for us you know before um but we've moved next door uh, we have some plans we're looking at. We're getting ready to kick off a capital campaign soon to hopefully uh, tear down the house that's there and rebuild um, and build a facility that will even have more options for the community going forward with providing integrative services um, such as nutrition, getting a nutritionist to come in and plant-based cooking and uh, things like that to show people how to make healthy food, how to make healthy snacks, and have a kitchen that's conducive to having people come in and learn. And then yoga. We do a lot of chair yoga classes for some of our patients who are going through treatment that, you know, we want to help them keep that movement because we all know nutrition and exercise are two key things to helping you stay healthy and even through your treatment to keep a degree of health so that when you come out on the other side, you can recover some normalcy. Um, so having the space that is conducive to that will be really huge for us to be able to have a yoga room, to have a room um, to where we can bring a practitioners in, such as a massage therapist, to work on um, scar tissue. Uh, as, as I told you before, you know, it was something for me that I've learned in my journey that after, you know, you think, I'm seven years out, you know, as of September. And I learned that, you know, I was having some issues with pain under my arm still after seven years. And I went to a massage therapist who specializes in neuromuscular, and she said, well, we can break up some of that scar tissue. Well, who would have, I, I didn't know about that, you know? So she's helped me get some of the range of motion back in my shoulder and my arm um, and take some of that tight pain away. Uh, so being able to bring in practitioners through grants that we write will be huge to be able to have somebody come in and maybe have six or seven appointments here and there of patients that really need that. Um, acupuncture, we have one of our board members who is an ovarian cancer survivor who talked about the nausea uh, and how the acupuncture just was amazing for her, took away her nausea and helped her deal with the pain so bringing those practitioners that are local, that are available in to help our patients in ways that maybe they couldn't afford, that insurance doesn't pay for, um, to help them be better patients and to come out on the other side stronger. Or, you know, adding that integrative in is what our goal is and being able to do that to continue to lessen the burden even more on cancer patients. So that's a grand vision for the future. It is. Um, how can people in the community help both now and when you get ready to launch this capital campaign for the new building? I think awareness is key. I, I've felt like since I've been here, um, this charity, when you find out what goes on here 
and the people that we help, you can't help but want to get involved. And it sells itself, um, which is good because I don't like to raise money. <laughs> um, but we have stories of people that come in here on a daily basis who are your neighbors and your mothers and your sisters and your brothers who are in the community that we've made a difference in their life by being here. And we can only be here through the support of the community. Um, I think that having people come in, if you've got a couple of hours a week and you'd like to come and cut the grass or uh, water our plants or file, answer the telephone, do things like that around the house, anything like that, sort um, donations when they come in, make calls to patients. We really like to keep that relationship with the patients to remind them we're here because a lot of people I'm sure I wasn't like this but um, a lot of people don't like to accept help you know they, they want to stand on their own and that's a very valid feeling but to, to constantly you know just be a reminder whether it's sending a card or making a phone call and saying hey we're here today are you okay how are you feeling is there anything you need um, it makes a difference because it's that relationship with the patient. So if you've got time to make some calls or write some thank you cards or write some get well cards or even some to families who've lost a loved one to say, you know, I'm thinking about you, you're on our mind, just to let them know. Anything like that, volunteering. And of course, Greg, we'll take money. Um, money helps fuel us. Those checks that we write directly um, cost. Um, and then making donations like stamps. Stamps are huge expense, you know. We send out a lot of checks, especially during COVID. We had to change our whole um, operation method. You know, our continuity of operations went to mailing a lot of our things so that people could get their check in the mail rather than having to come out and pick it up here. So we use a lot of stamps. We use envelopes. We use paper, copy paper, um, things like that. Gas cards are huge because we, if we can hand somebody a gas card and say, here you go, you don't need a check this time, here's your gas card for 25 bucks or here's your $50 gas card, it helps, especially if somebody's traveling out of town to MUSC or wherever, those gas cards help. Walmart cards, you wouldn't believe how many people, especially during the pandemic, that you know didn't have food. And we had people out of generosity that would come by and say, you know, here's some Walmart cards. So a couple of those patients, we were able to say, here's a $50 Walmart card go get you some get you some groceries get you what you need um, so those things were just vital to getting us through so anything like that and then you can help by if you buy from Amazon uh, sign up for the smile.amazon.com and list us as your charity we'll get five percent of everything you spend from their charity fund um, doesn't cost you any more but we'll get it. I think we got $125 last quarter, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's a lot of spending, <laughs> you know, because it's 5% of an amount. So signing up for things like that are huge. Being able to um, sign up online to make a donation. We have several people who give $10 a month through their credit card or through PayPal, $15 a month. 
$50 a month, whatever. I mean, we anything like that helps. And then if you're an expert in your field, maybe you are a gardener and you would like to maybe do a class. Or if you have a specialty with healthy cooking or baking bread or something like that, or ex some kind of exercise that's easy that, you know, we could incorporate into our programs like WellFit. We'd love to have you. So there's a lot of ways to get involved here. All you have to do is open your mouth, but if you do, we'll take you up on it. <laughs> and how do we get in touch with you? They can call us at 222-3500 is our office number, or they can go to our website. It's www.caanderson.org. And they can um, stop by. Right now we're at 213 rather than 215, but we share the same parking lot. So if you pull in, you'll see us. Um, and, you know, I, today is a special day for us. And uh, our founder, Catherine Smith, is also this month celebrating her cancerversary. And so she'll be here later. And uh, she's just an inspiration to all of us. And I can't help but, you know, mention her and thank our board who really works so hard to keep things going here and support the mission that we do every day. So, and our staff, I hope you'll get to meet our staff and walk around. There's um, Kathy Moles is our site manager. She helps with patients up front and make sure they have their checks. And then we have Kim Ellison, who's our project coordinator. She works on our outside events, such as our Food for Thought, where we do mammograms in the community and pay for them not just the mammograms, but also the reading of the mammograms. She handles those events and helps with our girlfriend's tea, which is coming up February 20, I mean, uh, March 27th, and our Concert of Hope and our balloon event. Then we have um, Sandra Martosha, who handles our breast prosthetic fittings and measuring and does our boutique, our little wig and hat room. And then we have Ryan Hulan, who does, who deals a lot with our veterans who have cancer and helps in the community with events, and he's our church and school contact. So all of us here, uh, we have three part-time and two full-time, and uh, we squeeze our pennies until they scream. <laughs> One of the reasons the Anderson Observer, News from People You Trust, was founded was to advocate those doing good things in the community as well as report news and, and what's going on. And the Cancer Association of Anderson is a bright spot and a, a real, uh, it's a cliche, but they are a shining star in what's going on here. And if you're looking for some place to support, I highly recommend them. They do make the most with the money they get there. A couple other things in the news this week I wanted to mention. Uh, it marks, this week marked the announcement that Pendleton's Lake Hartwell Country Regional Tourism Group which a lot of us still think of as the Pendleton District Historic Commission that Hurley Batter started years ago, is leaving. They're building at Hunter's store and after more than half a century. Uh, they are moving to the Iron Oak Bar Event Center on the property that houses their other services, the Bart Garrison Agricultural Museum of South Carolina and the South Carolina Century Farm Program out there. Um, it's out there uh, you know, right across from Tower County Tech. It's still in the city limits, but uh, Hunter, the Hunter Store building downtown will continue to use the upstairs of the building, the one that allegedly is haunted, you hear about, for the large regional archive holdings that are available for research by appointment, as well as for some library stuff. But tentative plans, and nothing is in, 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 in stone yet, but tentative plans are to rent out the downtown space of Hunter Store on Square in Pendleton, which is a great location. Not much available on that Square in Pendleton, which is still one of the nicest little town village greens anywhere. 
Also, Anderson University is now offering an online flex program for law enforcement officers, which is a fully online criminal justice degree while they're working. Uh, they make it cheaper, they make it faster, they can do it all online, and they're hoping that'll be something helpful to Anderson County's law enforcement professionals. Uh, their programs are designed for working adults, and they do have the scheduling to work whatever they need to do and to save costs to do those things. So, I didn't want to finish this podcast podcast out without noting the passing of Dr. Uh, George Lewis West. He's well known in this community, and he was a real light of hope and wisdom and humor. And he never wavered from using his gifts to promote justice and equality and goodness in the area. Those who knew him and even those who just began to know him and found out about him on his Facebook page where he had 3,000 plus friends were always encouraged to be better people by his constant message of hope and mercy. And I hope we honor him by continuing this legacy. Well, that's it for this edition of the Anderson Observer Podcast, news from people you trust. Join me next time for updates on Anderson County Mayors, news from Dolly Cooper Park, and more. But until then, get out and do something to make Anderson a better place. Anderson.